Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of BAMS Radio, Alabama 20, LSU 14. Certainly not what everybody was expecting in this game. Uh, you know, I know if anyone li- for all those folks that listened to our episode last week, everyone thought uh, that it was going to be a one-sided Alabama-dominating win. LSU coming in, you know, injured, banged up, uh, pretty much, you know, half of their defense not available to play offensively they had been uh, struggling most of the year unable to run the football but it sounds like and it looked like last night Alabama uh, you know was not had didn't have their eyes on the prize as they weren't focused they played probably their poorest game of the year uh, winning 20 to 14 now if you had told people at the start of the season Alabama would win the game 20 to 14 in Tuscaloosa I think people would have taken it but that was before Keyshawn Butte, Cordell Flott, uh, certainly Derek Stingley, uh, and, and of course, uh, Elijah Ricks. All these guys were out for the year for LSU. And so Alabama, you know, uh, everyone would have picked them as everybody. It was a 29 point spread to roll in this game, but it just goes to show you, you never know in football. And Alabama was very, very fortunate to escape Bryant Denny Stadium with what would have been, in my opinion, and this is saying a lot because LSU is a a great program historically, but nearly a Louisiana Monroe level loss, which we saw in Nick Saban's first season. But Alabama avoided that. The defense played well enough to win, and the tide escapes 20 to 14. Now it's all about, you know, is Alabama going to bounce back? Uh, You know, we saw this team come together. In a, in, a, in a performance at Arkansas like this in 2014, a 14-13 win. And we saw this kind of an effort uh, really against Tennessee in 2015 in a 19-15, uh, to 15, or excuse me, 14 win for the University of Alabama as they had to come back and score late to win. But, you know, the internal leadership on those two teams, I think, may be stronger than this one. And that's what has everybody, including myself, hesitating. But as you know, I'm Drew DeArmond. I'm the host of BAMS Radio, but I have two outstanding co-hosts. And, of course, one of them, the co-host and producer of the show, Thomas the Wizard Watts in the Fort City of Mobile. He's going to be with us tonight with some takes on Alabama football, as always. And then from 89 to 93, a 1992 national champion, William Redfish Barger, who is going to give us his thoughts. I don't think any of us are going to watch this game again. I certainly wouldn't want to, uh, you know, uh, be a uh, masochist and watch it. But, uh, William, I wanted to bring you in. Not the prettiest of uh, efforts from this Alabama football team. They, it, this, this whole season has been a roller coaster. Uh, but I really thought this was probably the worst performance that we've seen, though Alabama very fortunate to come out with a W. Yeah, I mean, I think before we get into all the – non-pleasantries about last night. I mean, that is the, the one positive um, that, that you can say is it does count in the win column and, you know, they can move on to New Mexico State. But that that was kind of the the feeling that I got as, as the game crept, you know, midway through the third quarter and, you know, the same stuff was happening that was happening in the first couple drives of the first quarter. And I was, you know, all of a sudden I had this sense of, you know, doom uh, kind of wash over me. And that's, that's kind of what it felt like was a, uh, a Mike Shula, you know, 2007, Nick Saban, you know, where, yeah. where the team just didn't go out there and, you know, acted like they wanted to be there. And that's, it was very surprising. Um, I, I guess shocking is, is, you know, maybe a better word, you know, coming off of a bye week. Um and, you know, I mean, outside of some of the same normal, you know, cast of characters on both sides of the ball, I mean, it, it was disturbing. Um, you know, when you, you factor in that, um, you know, especially Alabama's offense was, was going up in a lot of cases against LSU scout team defense and uh, got outplayed um, at multiple positions and for, for most of the game. And, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly going to, I, I don't think, you know, the 24-hour rule, as much as Nick Saban wants to apply it on a, on a weekly basis, I, I just don't see the, the fan base um, adhering to that 
Um, the, the, you know, this is going to spill over. I know it's left a lot of bad taste in people's mouths, mine included. Um, you know, it's just not something that I think, um, you know, you know, despite what you said about this kind of being a roller coaster season, um, you, you just didn't expect, um, nor has anybody come to expect, you know, this type of performance. Um, you know, I know that, that LSU was a crippled team coming into the, you know, the game and man, you got to take your hat off to the, to their, their coaching staff that are all going to be looking for jobs here in a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, a lot of players that, you know, are playing because there's more talented players in front of them that are, you know, either hurt or, you know, ready to move on to the next level. But, um, you know, it, it was aside from, you know, when, when the clock hit zero last night and it was a win, there, there's really not a lot of good things to say about it. Well, and William, I, 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 during your time at Alabama, I know there. I've heard people even return to it since last night that it felt like some some sort of Gene Stallings win. Or I even said what you said. I was going. I was leaving the press box, and I turned to Ryan Fowler, and I said, "You know, this was like a Mike Shula win." And he laughed. He goes, "Oh, come on now." I said, "Yeah, it really is. We didn't play very well, and we won the game." And so, I know you've been a part of some ugly wins. What do you take from as a team? And, and I know uh, as an offense, this group certainly did not play well. Nobody on that offense can think that they did their job, you know, to the best of their ability. I mean, I guess the closest would be Jamison Williams. He had 10 catches for 160 yards and a big, you know, deep TD. And, 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 and Mechie had a good first half, but he didn't do anything the second half. Uh, I mean, what do you take from that to – and, and, and do, do you use it as fuel to get better the rest of the year? I mean, what do you take from an offensive performance like that where you know as a group you didn't play to near your capability? I, I think at this stage in the season, Drew, that, that maybe you have to start letting it enter your mind that this just isn't a, an elite team. Um, you know, especially when – you go back and look at the way they struggled. I mean, you know, we all saw what happened to Florida last night. Um, you know, you saw them struggle in the swamp. You saw them struggle at College Station. You know, there's been windows of this kind of stuff. You know, I first started noticing it in the second half versus Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, you know, offensively, I, I would have to, you know, throw Bryce Young in there with, with Mechie and, and – uh, and Williams last night, I mean, the fact that he was able to, you know, come close to 300 yards passing with the amount of pressure and um, having zero, you know, you know, of a pocket to operate in, um, I think probably some confusion in the communication with the coaching staff on plays. You could tell there was a lot of that. You know, I would have to throw him into that bunch as well. Uh, I think the only three players on defense – um, that I would throw in before um, that I would throw in there would be, you know, obviously Will Anderson, Fidarian Mathis, Dallas Turner, and Christian Harris. Um, I thought those guys, you know, played like they wanted to be there. I mean, you know, Will Anderson, I think, has, you know, become probably the biggest story in college football this year for, you know, at least a defensive player. When you look at his stats over the last three games, and this is just over three games, you know, that, that cat's had 26 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, and 7.5 sacks just in the last three games. Um, you know, it, it means a lot to that kid. And uh, you, you've got to appreciate, you know, the stuff that he does. And, and you know, I think Fidarian, I think it's important to Fidarian Mathis. You know, Harris probably had his best game last night. And that, that was probably the biggest plus to me is, when, when you see a kid, albeit he's, he was one of the top-rated players in the country last year, um, but, but you know, way down the depth chart in the pecking order at Sam Linebacker to begin the season. But, you know, you saw the light really come on for Dallas Turner last night defensively. And um, so, you know, that being said, that's about all the positives. Um, you know, normally we could throw some stuff in there about special teams, but the kicker missed a field goal on an extra point, so that's out. <laughs> yeah, it just was a, an all-around flat performance. I asked Will Anderson last night about Dallas Turner. He said he went up to him right after the game and told him 
you know, you, you're, you're really coming on. You played well. Football means a lot to you. You study film. You, you get in there and you prepare. So uh, the, the one thing that I've been disturbed about, uh, you know, I thought the secondary played pretty well, but it just seems like all year Malachi Moore has been a half step late. Uh, and then like last night, I think you probably remember the play. I think it was in the fourth quarter. It was on a first down play. He jumped the route perfectly. And last year, William, that's an interception. And it hit yeah. him right in the hands, and, and he didn't make the play. And to me, that's one thing that's been missing. When you have a chance to make a play, you have to make it. And whether it's offensively or defensively, that's kind of been lacking with this group. No, it has been. And, and uh, you know, we've seen it, you know, in the deep ball on offense and, um, you know, just, just total collapses and blitz protection and blitz pickup all year long. Um, you know, and, and I think that the, the, the biggest thing about last night, if you go back and, you know, watch some of those plays, and that's why I'm so hesitant to, um, you know, give the secondary much credit is they had people open. And, yeah. you know, thank God because of Fidari and Mathis and Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, Max Johnson just didn't have time to find them open or, you know, he threw a bad pass because he was under pressure. Um, but no, man, they, they didn't cover number 80 Besh all night long. And, you know, there were quite a few other errant passes had they been halfway on target. They, you know, we might ought to be talking about a win. Um, but yeah, that was one thing that did jump out to me, Drew, was um, not just last night. And I don't know if he's, you know, been bothered by an injury or, or what the deal was. But, you know, this time last year, you know, all the talking heads during Alabama, you know, broadcast you know, said over and over again that Malachi Moore was the best freshman defensive back in the country. Well, nobody's saying he's the best sophomore one this year. Yeah, he's, yes, he's gone through a little bit of a sophomore slump. Uh, no question about that, you know. And, and you know, it, we'll see, but I don't think there was any injuries that came out of the game that were severe. I mean, Darian Dalcourt had an ankle. Uh, unfortunately, Jalen Armour Davis, uh, you know, suffered a rib injury, but there was no fracture. Uh, that's why we saw Job come in. Nick Saban told us after the game, Josh Job had a turf toe and didn't practice as much. But I will say this for Jalen Armour Davis, William. He is one guy with three interceptions to lead the team right now that has made plays. He made a great play on a ricochet last night. I at least when he's had the opportunity to, to uh, uh, you know, put games away or, or make a game-changing defensive play, he's done it. He certainly did it against Tennessee as well. That's been one of the bonuses. I know he's gotten a couple penalties and given up some plays, but I think fives played well in the back end. And I thought Kool-Aid, uh, with his first start in his Alabama career, played well yesterday relatively. No, no, absolutely. I, you know, and I, I think the um, – I agree with you about Jalen Armour Davis. And, and you know, he, he has had some stretches, um, you know, where he has been, um, you know, had some, you know, pass interference penalties, you know, thrown his way. But, um, you know, there again, it, it, you, you have to wonder, um, you know, if, if Kool-Aid can play that way and play that well, you know, um, starting, you know, why haven't we seen him? I mean, he, he hasn't been out there. Um, I know you said he's been suffering through a minor in injury here lately, but it hadn't been season long. And, yeah. you know, and I think that's the – you know, the, the frustration, I guess, that probably a lot of Alabama fans have is, you know, if, if this is the result, you know, of the same starting 11 on both sides of the ball, and I know it's it, they're still, you know, have a lot of things in front of them, but, you know, you can see, um, you, you know, the, the chemistry and, and the lack of execution, um, you know, week in and week out in a lot of cases. Um, you know, I, I get it. I mean, I get why. I mean, I think some of the, the criticisms are, um, you know, a little bit ridiculous. You know, you can't fire half the coaching staff in November. Um, you know, you're, you're stuck with what you've got for the rest of the year, at least, at least through, you know, the first part of December, hopefully beyond that. But, you know, as these type of performances continue to mount throughout the course of the season, um, you know, I think it starts to put, you know, whether or not, you know, they, they get anywhere past the, 
um, you know, the SEC championship game other than a meaningless bowl game. Um, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of concern about Arkansas and, and Auburn. And if they play like they did last night, they'll lose both of those games. But, you know, it's it's just not something that I think the, the average Alabama fan has come to expect and, uh, you know, under Nick Saban. And I think that's why the um, – you know, I'm not one of these guys that expects perfection in every football game. That's, that's you know, not something that's realistic or possible. But I, I do think there were some uh, fair criticisms that have gone on since the first part of the season that you saw come to fruition last night at a couple different areas. And I was going to bring in Thomas Watts now. Thomas, uh, I, it was an ugly game, no doubt about it. Uh, then, uh, Williams had some very interesting thoughts and, you know, I, I've tried to give some of my takes as well. I mean, I will say, I think with the, the injury to Darian Dalcourt and, uh, we've moved Chris Owens inside, inside the center. Now I've said that he was a better interior player. Well, I'll just go ahead and say it. he's not a good player. Uh, he's, he, there, I, I tweeted this out. There's only one weak link needed to break a chain. And I think. He's the weakest link by far. I think Damian George should be the right tackle the rest of the year. I wish that, you know, Darian Dalcourt would be back in the pivot, but probably we're going to see 79 back out at right tackle. Uh, but, you know, this the offensive execution was putrid. The special teams was not good last night. Uh, defensively was pretty solid. That's the reason they won the game over an inferior opponent. But uh, what are your thoughts on what you saw? Okay, so good teams find a way to win even in adverse circumstances. Good and, point. And, you know, go back to last year. Uh, talk about the Alabama Ole Miss game. The Alabama defense did not have anything for Lane Kiffin's extremely wide splits, et cetera. So the Alabama offense went and scored 63 points, win by 15. But, but – there are some real, real issues on this football team. And I, I come back to how I personally felt as a fan watching last night's game. And the word I used was excruciating. It was one step forward, two steps back. Two steps forward, one step back. There was no flow. And what was most alarming to me is that I got the impression, just watching on television, that the vast majority of – well, not the, the vast majority is unfair, but a large portion of the Alabama football team, just as an organization, didn't give a rip that they got to play football Saturday night. And I can understand it was the LSU scout team. They were 29-point favorites, blah, blah, blah. But – it's very frustrating as a fan because this team, more than any team over the past several years, has jumped into the notion that they can play up to their competition or they can play down to their competition. And I said last week when we were talking about this, this team that LSU's high variance. They haven't been very good, and they probably aren't going to be very good. But they have raw talent. So th if they play crazy and some stuff goes in their favor, suddenly we're in one. Come to find out that's what happened. But overall, you know, if, how do you here's – here's the thing, Drew. Do you want to see the glasses half empty? Well, if the glass is half empty, it's going to be real tough sledding with that effort to echo what Williams said. If that effort comes out against the Arkansas Razorbacks, Alabama will lose. If that effort, even within a couple of standard deviations of that effort, comes out against Auburn in that voodoo hellhole we lovingly or hatefully called Jordan-Hare Stadium comes out, then Alabama will lose. But if you want to see it as glass half full – the defense was solid, you know, a couple of long drives. Yes, Max Johnson, if he had made a couple of plays, it's a much closer, you know, it's a, it's a nip and tuck game, et cetera, et cetera. But he didn't, and I thought the defense played a very solid game. 
But it's just what, what, what's the most frustrating about this is, as a fan, I want to understand. Like I, I'm there with the idea that Nick Saban and crew will be able to figure it out. They're in the building. I'm not. But at the same time, I want to be able to understand it because this football team, like the, the football team that took Ole Miss apart through two and a half quarters a few weeks ago can win a national championship. The football team that came out last night and played for almost the entire game would potentially get beaten by half of the SEC. And that level of variance is not something that I'm used to as an Alabama fan. And a lot of the fan base isn't used to. And the unfortunate reality that that now engenders is it's a very week to week problem. You know, two weeks ago, I came on the show and said, as close as the scoreboard was against the Tennessee Volunteers, that game was over at halftime because Alabama had run so many plays and Tennessee had run so few, the Tennessee defense was going to be just completely gassed. Okay, well, that that's that turd polishing aside, what do we get two weeks from there? The worst performance that Alabama has had this year in week 10? So with this level of variance, I'm not comfortable – saying that Alabama will decisively beat an Arkansas or decisively beat an Auburn. And I've told multiple people offline, just friends that are Alabama fans, don't ask me about Georgia because I have no idea what the those two teams will look like in a few weeks or if Alabama's going to make it. If I had if Alabama was playing Georgia in 6 days, I'd take Georgia by two touchdowns and that's being like nice to the Alabama football team. This Alabama team is too inconsistent. It does weird, weird stuff. It's like they think because there is an Alabama A on the middle of the football field in Bryant-Denny Stadium, they should be able to win. And that's just not realistic. And so the roller coaster ride that is 2021 Alabama football continues apace. And my advice to Alabama fans They'll beat New Mexico State by 50. No big deal. The talent's too big a deal. But against Arkansas, against Auburn, buckle up. And just to put a little more emphasis on those games, Alabama already barfed all over themselves and lost in College Station. So they can't afford a second loss to get to where they're going. The goals are in front of this team. Hopefully they'll be able to make it. But, man, it's hard to have a lot of faith that when the chips are down, this team's going to show up, Drew. Well, I'm going to ask you this and then have William answer it. But, you know, I started thinking about performances that it reminded me of what I saw last night. And, of course, I think this LSU team was worse than these other two. Uh, but it reminded me of Arkansas in 2014, which was Blake Sims' worst game as a quarterback at Alabama. He had a great year that year. But. It was just an off night. Alabama won 14-13. to 13. If Arkansas doesn't fumble in the first quarter through the end zone, they probably don't win that game. Uh, Landon Collins picked the ball off to, to, to seal it at the near the end of the game. And then you'd also have the uh, 2015 Tennessee game. Alabama was a big favorite. Tennessee was leading late in the fourth, middle of the fourth quarter, and Alabama drove down, won the game. You know, Ardarius Stewart made a big catch. Derrick Henry takes it in, and then they get the turnover and just down the ball basically on the one and win 19-14. to 14. Those two teams basically responded from poor performances like that, and one made the playoff, won the SEC. The other won the SEC, won the national championship. But I'll ask you first, Thomas. I just have doubts about the internal leadership with this group because I heard Nick Saban in the press conference yesterday refer to it as, I, you know, he, he said – he was just going to get. You're, you're not going to apologize for winning. I understand that. But he said he was. He was. They were going to continue to be positive. The staff with this is a staff with this team and encourage them. To me, I think he knows this team is fragile and lacks the internal leadership that he's been looking for. I, I wanted to know what you thought, and then I'll let William give his answer. I absolutely agree. So I think Nick Saban's 
modus operandi is I want to be able, as your coach, to tell you where you have screwed up. And when you make a mistake, you and I will put our heads together, me the coach, you the player, and we're going to fix it. And it's not a commentary on you as a football player to say that you made a mistake. Like, mistakes happen. Congratulations. You, you, have, you are the human condition on Bryant-Denny Stadium's football field. But this football team, in some ways, feels like it's unable to handle criticism. And that's a weird thing for Nick Saban. And, and, and here we are. I, I have a hard time believing that the sort of Nick Saban fire and brimstone that Alabama fans have come to expect will be a thing for this group. And it's unfortunate because I'm a huge proponent of tough love. I mean, I am. I get asked to talk to freshmen all the time at uh, the University of South Alabama for computer science. I had to do it two weeks ago. I literally said, you want to do what I do? Cool. Work for the next five years, 40 hours a week. And the kids loved it. Some of them told me to respectfully do some things involving my mother and sex, but, you know, it is what it is. But some kids respond to that. Some kids don't. I feel like this group of kids has to – let me give you a different metaphor than that. When you're leading people, you can give them a bowl of ice cream or you can give them a bowl of poop. And the bowl of poop guys are like, you really played bad. Here's your bowl of poop. The bowl of ice cream is, well, you didn't play so good, but you still get a little bit of ice cream. And we're going to amplify that and hope that you get more ice cream by being better. I think this team needs more ice cream than poop. And that's a little bit different for Nick. And because it's a little bit different, I don't know if it's going to work to win a championship. If I had to pick right now, I don't think Alabama wins the championship in in a month and a half. But stranger things have happened. Teams have circled the wagons and surprised me in the past. As a fan... I hope it happens, Drew. William, your thoughts. What was the question again? Well, I just think when I heard Nick Saban yesterday, I he he said that he was going to they weren't going to apologize for winning. We understand that, but then he said that the staff was going to continue to be positive. They were going to continue to encourage all the players. To me, his tone seemed to think that. This team is fragile, and they don't have the internal leadership, certainly of last year, but even of teams that he's had in the past, which in 14 and 15, those guys had some alpha dogs that, you know, pulled that team up. They unified after that Arkansas performance, and they went on to win the SEC, make the playoff. Of course, they lost to the eventual national champion, Suckeyes. But still, they had a really good year. Blake Sims was a revelation. And then the next year – they rode Derrick Henry to a national championship. They overcame playing poorly against a pretty good Tennessee football team. But this team, this LSU team, is not as good as those two. And I guess what I'm saying is I just get the feeling that Nick Saban knows there's a, there's so many flaws in this team that he's trying to massage it to the end of the line. What are your thoughts? Um, I, You know, I certainly don't disagree with that. I, I just think that – in, in certain areas, I guess, certain positions, um, I, I feel like that, you know, Coach Saban has gone well beyond the stubborn factor. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I'll be specific. You yes. know, if you're starting – or excuse me, the guy that you put in there at center because the starter goes down with an injury gets absolutely dominated – um, by Neil Farrell, um, I think he ended up with seven tackles, two tackles for a loss, and at least one sack. What the hell do you think is going to happen in December when that player faces, if that player faces Jordan Davis? Yeah, I don't. I, I cringe to think about that. Um, and you know that's been a, uh, you know, a continuum all season long. I mean, that's that's kind of been the you know, the, the weak link of this offense is the miscues and, um, you, you know, 
it's, it's one thing to get beat, and, and I don't necessarily have a problem with a player, you know, that's, you know, fighting, scratching, clawing. You know, for God's sakes, I would rather see you get a holding call um, than, than the quarterback get his head caved in because you're so lackadaisical, you don't even touch a blitzer or, or the guy that's lined up across from you. That's the worst outcome in my book. And I saw quite a bit of that last night. So, you know, I, I get it. You want to try and keep putting your best foot forward and keep putting the, the, your team in the best situation to win. And I would say probably maybe at the A&M point of the season, you saw people kind of start to, you know, raise these issues and these questions. And I thought that was a little bit premature, but, when you're talking about the first Saturday in November and the same stuff is still going on, you know, I, I think you've taken this recipe for this team, whatever it is, you know, too much ice cream, not enough poop, whatever. Um, I think you've taken this philosophy um, on the 2021 team as far as you can, and you kind of got to start looking for something different. Well, William, I will say this. I think Alabama's fortunate that this is a down year in college football. Even in the SEC, the, 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 the West is a lot better than the East. We, we know now with what Kentucky did yesterday, they gained 600 yards, but losing 45-42 in Lexington to Tennessee. There's only one uh, elite team in the East, or really one really even good team, a really good team, and that's Georgia. Uh, they certainly are. But it looks like they, you know, with the, in the, there's not a great team in the SEC West. So even through all this, Alabama can still win this division if they take care of Arkansas and Auburn. Uh, you know, that's not going to be easy based upon the way they played, especially this past Saturday night. I mean, let's let's not let's not we're not going to even talk about New Mexico State much, except to say Alabama's going to name their score. Uh, they're a 51 and a half point favorite. I don't think they'll cover that, by the way. Uh, you know, I think they'll win. You know, if you wanted to, if you wanted me to give a prediction, I would say something like 52 to three is probably my prediction. Now, they're going to come close to covering it. I don't think they will. And again, I know how poorly they played against LSU, but they're going to, they'll get right in some ways against New Mexico State. But the real litmus test is going to be what kind of mindset they have. And that's what it is to me. Is this team motivated? Do they want to reach the end? Do they want to play Georgia? Uh, are they wanting to measure themselves against what everybody is calling the best team in America, the greatest defense ever? You know, they, they, you know this is, uh, in, in a lot of ways, LSU 2011, again, except for Alabama didn't play them during the regular season. They're basically crowning Georgia before they reach the end. And, you know, Alabama's had a lot of great defenses that I think are as good as this Georgia one, but everybody's hyping them. Are they motivated to reach that end? And so, to me, that's what this is going to turn into. Uh, I certainly think Alabama has the best quarterback in the SEC in Bryce Young. I know Bryce has been hit or miss with his deep ball. He hit one yesterday. Uh, I think he sometimes takes a, a quarter or two to get warmed up. Then his deep ball improves. But I shudder to think where the hell Alabama would be without nine because I think they'd have three or four losses already. So I think he's been that important to them. But to me, William, this is all about mindset with this group, the internal leadership, the internal want to. They are better than Arkansas and Auburn. They should beat both of them if they play as, if, you know, the way they're capable of playing. But we don't know. And I think there's a lot of intrigue and uncertainty because I don't know if this team, do they truly want it? And do they truly want to get to the end and play Georgia for a championship? Well, I mean, let's let's just skip right over New Mexico. Um, right, right. You know, say, yeah. If, yeah. if Alabama, you know, if Alabama can't establish a solid running game against Arkansas, um, especially if if uh, Barry Odom decides to play Alabama the same way that he did Georgia. Um, <laughs> then I'm going to really be worried. You know, that to me is, is the biggest matchup in that game um, is, is you know, the, the, the way he likes his three-man fronts and tries to protect the back end. You know, Alabama should have some success running the football against him, even with the five offensive linemen they put on the field last night. 
And, and, you know, the thing that concerns me about Auburn, and I, I never have bought into this and I never will, I could care less about the, the boogeyman voodoo that people think that goes on down there. Um, you know, football games are won by players making plays and players not making plays. But the thing that concerns me about them, and, and it's less of a concern after watching Auburn play the last two weeks, but, you know, the focal point of their their offense is getting their tight ends and their running backs involved in the passing game because they really don't have any wide receivers that most teams with decent corners are concerned about. But they do a really good job of getting their tight ends and their wide receivers involved in the passing game, and that's something that Alabama's defenses, especially under Nick Saban, have always struggled with. Um but I really don't think they've got the offensive tackles to keep Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and Drew Sanders in check. So they ought to be able to get plenty of pressure, you know, on Bo Nix, which, you know, then you've got to worry about, you know, Bo Nix pretending that he's Johnny Manziel and, you know, playing backyard football. Um, but, but, you know, to me, the, the rest of the season before they get to, if they get to the SEC championship game where it becomes a different animal, the rest of this season is about Alabama fixing the issues and the problems or, or getting better at where their deficiencies are. And, and really up until this point, you know, I, I'm not really even all that excited about the defensive performance last night, you know, other than the players that we talked about. I mean, that that was, one of the worst offenses in the SEC that they played against. And, you know, one running back still had 100 yards rushing, and there were drives put together that, that shouldn't have been. Um, I, I still think there's plenty of issues on that side of the ball. Don't don't lull yourself to sleep and think all of a sudden that they've been fixed because they haven't. Um, there were wide receivers wide open last night, and thank God either Max Johnson didn't have time to find them or he didn't have the arm talent to get the ball to him accurately. But I just think that there's a lot of issues. I agree with Thomas. I think there's a lot of issues with this team. And you, you, your, your thought process was is they were going to work on a lot of those and, and improve on them during the off week. And it, it just, at least if you use last night as a litmus test, you know, it hasn't happened. And, you know, you know is there enough internal leadership um, – you know, on this team to, to get them over those last two humps so they can get to Atlanta and test their manhood versus Georgia. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see how all that plays out. But, you know, I, I'm not one of these people that, you know, wakes up on a Sunday and wants to fire half the coaching staff. It seems like Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone have kind of moved into an equal um, hatchet job right now with Pete Golding. So, um you know, I, I prefer to go back at the end of the season and look at the total package and, and what's happened throughout the course of the whole season versus week to week. You know, last year at this time, everybody wanted to fire Pete Golding, and, you know, the defense got progressively better on the on, in the back half of the season. So, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But, you know, it just was certainly not what I was expecting, and I was completely caught off guard by a lot of what I saw on TV last night. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, there's no question. It's it's definitely concerning. Uh, we'll see how this team responds. And again, like we said, New Mexico State, we know that's going to be a game where uh, Alabama is hopefully going to uh, get back to the fundamentals, get back to executing properly, play a lot of guys. And William, I will say this about playing a lot of guys. We did see Drew Sanders return to, as far as in some special teams, and then also played a little bit on defense. Dallas Turner has really started to assert himself. We even saw Braswell a little bit coming in for Will Anderson, but I think now we understand why Braswell hadn't been playing. And what I mean by that is it's because of the what they see out of Dallas Turner. Uh, from this point forward, do you see maybe a, a rotation with Turner and Sanders with how much better 15 seems to be getting? Yeah, I think that's the, the you know the fair and equitable way to do it. I mean, you you uh, you know certainly a player never loses his position to an injury, but you know they're they're gonna you know not just come back and put Dallas Turner on the shelf. I think he's played, um, you know, especially in the last couple of weeks, he's really elevated his game. I think you can tell that he is one of the 
you know, the few people on that defense that, that, you know, it is important to him and, and he does try and do things the right way. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, getting some of those big, you know, flash plays that he had against LSU last night's going to, you know, up his confidence level a little bit. You know, he still probably needs another year to, you know, develop counter moves as a pass rusher and maybe get a little bit bigger and stronger to, to you know, play the run. But certainly when you factor in that he started, you know, the season against Miami, you know, as, as the third team Sam linebacker and you're getting this kind of production out of him, um, that that is one of the big plot positives and pluses that I've seen, you know, transpire this season. And, and uh, you know, it's going to help them, you know, next year. Um, and then all of a sudden you have to start thinking about, well, what if Chris Allen comes back? Um, then all of a sudden, um, you know, that, that, that position group and, you know, Braswell will be, um, you know, even better, uh, you know, with the reps that he's got. And, you know, I noticed still, um, what, what's it been now, four or five games? And, you know, Will Anderson's still wearing that knee brace. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's doing what he's doing. Um, you know, after suffering a, you know, a, a minor knee injury and a rib injury um, throughout the course of the season. So um, we might need to just have a damn show where all we do is, you know, uh, lap up, you know, Will Anderson's sweat that drips off of his jersey. I mean, we can't say enough good things about that guy, just a special, special player. And um, it, it is good to see him starting to get, you know, recognition from, from the media you know, talking heads about maybe being the best defensive player in college football. And I certainly think that label's deserving. Yeah. And I know you were, you got to Alabama right after Derek Thomas finished up, but people talk, try to compare them. I, I don't, I, I don't think they're the same kind of player. So I, I think Derek is the greatest college pass rusher of all time, but I will say this, and this is no slight to Derek because we know how good he was. He's one of the all time greats. But Will, I think, is a better all-around player. He plays the run exceptionally well. He's an explosive pass rusher. He gives effort. And, William, you said something before we started our show. The key for him is he's sideline to sideline. He had 12 tackles last night, four tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. I believe he has 10 sacks now on the season. Uh, He's as disruptive and as as well-rounded a player as I've ever seen at Alabama under Nick Saban. And I'm really starting to believe if he stays healthy, he could be the first pick in the draft. Yeah, and I started looking at this probably a month ago, and I thought he had a really good chance of of getting there by, you know, this time next year. But, you know, in my opinion, the best guy that's played his position, um, you know, at least in the SEC in the last decade, was Miles Garrett at Texas A&M. And – you know, he, he's going to be, if he keeps this, you know, I don't expect him to do what he did last night, you know, every week, he's going to face better offensive lines. But to me, the, the, the thing that it's starting to look like where he has a chance to eclipse the urban legend of Derek Thomas. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Derek certainly deserves every accolade he's ever gotten, but they're, they're playing in different areas of football. You know, there wasn't a premium on pass blocking, you know, in the mid to late 80s in college football because 95% of the offenses that you saw, you know, were pro-style eye formation, and the only time they threw the football was third and long. And, uh, you know, certainly these guys are, are much more, you know, adept at it and trained more because of all the passing that goes on. And, you know, Derek Thomas had a lot more time because the quarterbacks back then were, you know, doing set five to seven step drops um, and, and the patterns took longer to develop. So he had a little bit more time to get to the quarterback as well. Not that he needed a lot of time, but when, when you factor in these spread offenses and how quickly quarterbacks get off the, you know, get the ball out of their hands, you know, I think you have to factor that in when you talk about Will's stats. And, and, and like you said, um, just how much of a dominant force he is for a guy that's not any bigger, you know, weight-wise. You know, the the thing that makes him such an elite player, if you take his just outworldly work ethic out of the equation, is those long arms that he was born with. He was born with them, but that's something that God gave him. 
but how he's learned to use his hands and that, that leverage that he has a natural advantage against. Um, you know, he does an excellent job of knifing inside of offensive tackles on running plays. You see him do it every week. But, um, you know, I'm not necessarily going to sit here and say that I think he's better than Derek Thomas, um, you know, going into the second college football week in the month of November of his sophomore year. But I, I do think if he's able to continue this level of play up by this time next year, it won't even be a debate. Yeah, no no question about it. And, I mean, I think he's uh, getting better each week. It seems like he's getting more dominant, right? no doubt about it. And, Thomas, I wanted to bring you back into the conversation. Uh, what We know Alabama's going to win the New Mexico State game. I mean, we look, this, I know that's rat poison, but it's New Mexico State. What are you uh, hoping and expecting to see on Saturday? So, I think the way I would describe the Alabama-LSU game in general was a lack of crispness and a lack of execution. I think the defense deserves some credit. I think the offense deserves practically none. Against New Mexico State, I would call it Similar to other um, non-SEC games Alabama has played, with the exception of the Miami Hurricanes, it's a get-right game. Show me some crispness. Show me some execution. Show me some, in a lot of ways, want to be there. You know, come out and after the first quarter, 21 nothing. And that 21 nothing is because the Alabama offense was able to do what it pleased and move the ball effectively. The Alabama defense was able to not just slow down but stop the New Mexico State offense. That's what I'm looking for. I, 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 hate, to, I hate to say that it's, again, I hate to use the phrase get right game, but that's exactly what it feels like, Drew. This team is not that strong mentally. Um, And what does that mean for a game like New Mexico State? It means that because they lack mental fortitude as a group, that every little bit of success that this team can find, a consistent success, excuse me, such as a game against New Mexico State, means a lot more. And... You know, we're going to have a show next Sunday where we talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks, and I would be stunned if Alabama was not a two-touchdown or more favorite against that group of guys. But as William said, Barry Odom's three-two-six defense is built to stop a spread-passing team. And should Alabama f- struggle to st- establish a running game, that's playing into Arkansas's hands. So against New Mexico State, get right run the ball effectively, pass the ball effectively, block effectively on defense, slow down the New Mexico State offense. And you hate to throw a lot of confidence-boosting rhetoric around a team like New Mexico State, but with this football team in 2021, I feel like it's going to matter more. And that, that's my hope. And frankly, that should be the expectation, Drew. If it doesn't happen again with Arkansas a couple weeks from now, I'll probably still take Alabama. But I don't think Alabama would cover that number as we sit, you know, two weeks from that Saturday where Alabama meets Arkansas in a key SEC game. Well, you know, I will say this: I'm really going to be interested to see in red stick how lsu plays arkansas arkansas is a two-point favorite it's on sec network it's a 630 kick can lsu play as well as they did against alabama against the hogs oh I'm no really i'm sorry no 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 I, I i didn't know they were a two-point favorite i take arkansas yeah, to are. cover I, I take arkansas to cover every day of the week this was LSU Super Bowl. This was a chance to win one for the Swamp Monster down in Louisiana, and they almost got it done. I think Arkansas is going to win that one by two touchdowns, and it's not even going to be that close. But please continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I was just, I was just reading, you know, some of the early numbers. You know, Ole Miss is a two-and-a-half-point dog at home to A&M. 
uh, which will be a fascinating game because A&M's the biggest Auburn fans in the world right now. They want and Arkansas. They they want Alabama to lose an SEC game so they can get to Atlanta, but they've first got to navigate Oxford, Mississippi. So we'll see, uh, you know, because Jack Calzada has not played at near the level that he's played since Alabama. He, so far, it's been kind of a, a Steven Garcia movement. Uh, Georgia is a 20-and-a-half-point favorite at Tennessee. So we'll see if the Vols – that'll probably be the best offense Georgia has faced, see if they can block Georgia up front and have a chance to move the ball because many people believe the Georgia secondary is probably the weakest part of that defense, though it's an elite one, uh, no question about it. But as we're wrapping up, Bands Radio, I, I, and uh, Thomas, did you and William have any other thoughts? I was going to talk. Yeah, I too. actually do. I, I oh, go yeah, ahead. before you go into the de- before you go into uh, uh, patting yourself on the back for all your good basketball recruiting position, uh, predictions from last week, which you certainly deserve. Um, the uh, you know two things last night that just absolutely dumbfounded me, and I wanted to get y'all's opinions on it. Um, you know, this is the second week in a row for sure, maybe even the third week, that Billingsley has not been a part of the offense whatsoever. And really, the tight ends weren't involved at all. You know, Latu had a drop and, and a penalty, and they never went back to him. So I'm curious on y'all's thoughts on that as well. And maybe it's just me. I, maybe I, I need to just, you know, look forward to – Yellowstone coming on in 20 minutes and get past this. But one of the worst calls offensively that I have seen all week, all all year, happened last night on a critical third down. Now, if it was going to be. He's talking about the Slade Cat. It's the Slade Cat. I could feel it. Here we go. (laughs) Let let, let me throw throw one caveat out there. You know, if it was going to be an RPO you know, where, where you asked him to uh, channel his inner Tim Tebow and, and jump up and throw a pop pass to one of the tight ends that were both ghosts last night, then it makes a little bit more sense. But in that situation, if it was going to be a designated wildcat run, wouldn't it have made more sense to y'all to get the guy off the bench that runs a four four forty? Maybe some people have even said high four three nines in Jalen Milrow versus Slade Bolden. I mean, that just absolutely – I didn't throw anything. I, I was so far um, depressed and gone by this point, I didn't get my normal reaction. But that just baffled me. Well, yeah, I could see your point there, William. I mean, he's much more explosive than Slade and can get the uh, edge quicker. There's no doubt about it. I thought Roy Dell Williams should have played more. Because sometimes you played with running backs, you just go with the hot hand. I thought Roy Dell's quickness and speed was giving LSU some problems when he got in there. I thought he was uh, having more success than Brian Robinson. I don't know why they didn't do that. That was a little bit mystifying to me. Uh, but I, I do think I, I see your point on uh, on the, the Slade Bowl. And I was surprised when I zoomed in and thought, oh, shit, there's 18 at quarterback. And it went absolutely nowhere. I know, I guess he can throw it a little bit, but so can Milrow. So to me, I agree. I, I guess they're trying to redshirt Milrow, but they still got those, uh, that new rule where you can, it doesn't matter which, which games you play in. So I, uh, I would agree. I don't know why we didn't see Milrow there. There were some questionable decisions. I'm not exonerating the coaches completely, but I'm like you. I'm also not trying to fire anybody either. I still think it's no. most players for, they needed to be ready to play. There's no well, doubt about it. And I they think that's weren't. important. I think that's worth highlighting. You know, we, we really spent the past few, the past you know majority of the show com- like being frustrated with the Alabama football team, but there's a difference between let's blow up the whole damn thing, and let's blow up the whole damn or let's say, let's blow up the whole damn thing because it's over, and blow up everything when goals are still ahead of this football team. Look, Alabama played very, very poorly against LSU. I don't think anybody will, will will argue against that. But having said all of that, every goal that this team set is still in front of them. So, you know, if we get to January and the goals haven't been met, sure, I'll I'm I'm 100% for let's blow the thing up. 
But right now, like, if you fire Pete Golding and you fire Doug Marone and you fire Bill O'Brien, everything – like, Alabama loses. Like, you're not going to magically make a better offensive coordinator in six days. I think that needs to be said because there's a certain portion of our fan base that's ready to basically – blow up the entire athletic building and rebuild from scratch. Sure. In January, I'm there, man, if it's not there. But right now, everything's in front of this football team, and that's not a bad <coughs> spot to be in on November the 7th, Drew. Man, everybody that wants them fired were four years old when Mike Shula was coaching. They have no idea what the hell they're talking about or watching because they didn't go through that. They didn't go through Dubos. They didn't go through Fran leaving. They didn't go through Shula. They have no perspective. Look, I mean, I know this was ugly as hell, but it was a win. So you never apologize for winning, and that's what I agree with with Nick Saban. It's how you respond to the adversity, and that's what we're going to see uh, out of this group. And and now to, to wrap up our show, I did want to say it was a landmark week for Alabama basketball. William kind of foreshadowed it. They're fixing to play their first real game on Tuesday against Louisiana Tech. And they'll have Javon Quinterly and Jawan Gary back. They were back from suspension. What a week in recruiting it was for Alabama. Uh, they had Jaden Bradley committed, the number one point guard in the country. Now they have uh, four-star center Noah Clowney. He's a power forward center from Roebuck, South Carolina. Chose Alabama over Indiana and others. And now they have another uh, five-star commitment, Brandon Miller from Cane Ridge, uh, Tennessee, Antioch High School or excuse me, Cane Ridge High School, pardon me, in Antioch, Tennessee. Uh, his his uh, father, Daryl Miller, played with William uh, at Alabama under Gene Stallings. He was a backup tight end, but his son's a five-star, smooth forward, six foot seven. He chose Alabama over pro options, Tennessee State, Kansas. So he's going to be coming in. And then they got the third piece. Uh, and that was Nick Pringle. They lost out on Jerace Walker, five-star from IMG to Houston. Uh, it becomes Houston's highest-ranked recruit ever. Uh, but certainly they got Nick Pringle, who is one of the top two JUCO prospects in the country. He was at Wofford University, been transferred recently to Dodge City, Kansas, was being pursued by several high-major programs, including Wichita State, Ole Miss, Georgia, you know, West Virginia and Bob Huggins, Arizona State and Bobby Hurley. But he chose Alabama. Great job by Brian Hodgson. And then this coming week, just be Tuesday could be a good day for Alabama football and basketball. In basketball, Ryland Griffin, Richardson, Texas, combo guard, another top 60 recruit, top 65. He's going to choose Alabama, in my opinion. He'll be the fifth domino to this. And then don't, don't, and they may not be done even then. There's a Canadian, you know, Alabama's got a Canadian pipeline. Uh, with Charles Bediaco right now and Keon Ambrose Hilton. They had Josh Primo. There's another one, Elijah Fisher. He may reclassify. He's a 2023 wing, a six foot six athletic freakazoid. Alabama's heavily involved with him, so watch out for that as well. That would vault Alabama. Those two additions would vault Alabama. Richardson, or excuse me, uh, uh, Griffin would vault Alabama into the top five, most likely. And then Fisher would vault them into the top three. And it was neat seeing them get their rings last night inside Bryant Denny Stadium and also the softball team as well. And so they were, I believe they were both honored uh, for their championships. And so that was really a cool thing. Uh, you know, they were both lauded uh, by the, uh, uh, by uh, the, the crowd at the, by the, uh, and by the university of Alabama. And I will say as well, uh, also in football, watch out for big time DL Isaiah Hastings uh, from he's a, He's playing in the state of Florida, but he's another Canadian. He's kind of like a Christian Barmore. He's exploded as a senior, and I think he's about to make his decision on Tuesday, and I think Alabama is the heavy favorite. He and Curtis Perry along that defensive line could be two additions in the very near future for the University of Alabama. So uh, that's a little bit of a recruiting update to end our show, but we want to thank everyone for tuning in. We feel like we had some good banter and conversation, and we raised some real questions and tried to answer them about this Alabama team, even though a lot of it is going to have to play itself out. But certainly this, this uh, season has been one that's been a roller coaster ride, and it's going to continue to probably be one. It certainly hasn't been the dominant one we saw last year, but Alabama, as Thomas Watts rightfully said, has everything in front of them, and we'll see how they respond. 
We expect a route of New Mexico State, but then Amen Corner is coming around, and that'll be Arkansas at home, the Auburn Tigers and Jordan Hare. And if they can win those two games, a potential matchup with the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs. But we appreciate everybody for continuing to support BAMS Radio. We love it. It's a labor of love for us. We love getting together each Sunday and each week and talking Alabama football and athletics. But good night, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. And roll tide, and we'll talk with you next Sunday.